0: Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller, and welcome to the Forever Student. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today we have a very, very special guest. He is a pioneering physician, a scientist, a TED speaker, and author of the groundbreaking New York Times bestseller Eat to Beat Disease that explains how we have the power to help control our own health destiny by making decisions that help the body heal itself. Dr. William Lee, welcome to The Forever Student. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on with you. I watched your video on Dr. Pharmacist a couple of weeks ago and immediately got in touch. I sent that same video to to many of my friends and family and we're so happy to have you here today. I'm, I'm going to jump right in and ask you what got you interested in how food impacts health? And second question would be, why did you write Eat to Beat Disease?
1: Yeah, well, um, first of all, I'll tell you a little bit about myself because it'll, um, uh, it'll, it'll explain uh, my journey. So I'm a physician. I'm an internal medicine doctor. Um, you know, I, uh, I trained at one of the Harvard teaching hospitals. Uh, I am trained to take care of, and I take care of in my practice, men and women, young and old, healthy and sick. And my own orientation has always been, how do you keep healthy people healthy? And how do you get people who are um, sick? How do you get them back to health? Um, and that's a little bit different than, I think, the mindset of many uh, well-trained doctors who you know, sort of wait for the disease to come to them, and then you know they really go whole hog to diagnose and treat, and you treat to sort of the end game. And that's always been something that I recognize and I and I um, also practice that way. But my mindset, my own philosophy, my personal philosophy has been keeping health and then returning, restoring health. I kind of view health as a kind of a, 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 a cycle. Uh, we're born healthy uh, as we age and encounter different uh, forces in our environment. Um, we may sacrifice some of our health over time. We may lose some of our health over time, but there's always this ability to kind of um, uh, stay back, stay on that circle Uh, think about it like a clock face to get back to 12 o'clock at the top, rather than come off the circle, which is, you know, throwing the kitchen sink and, you know, um, uh, giving up on uh, people um, just trying to treat disease and not trying to get people back to health. Now, as it turns to food, you know, I've been involved with uh, uh, biotechnology for well over 25 years. I run a nonprofit organization, uh, NGO called the Angiogenesis Foundation. Uh, It's based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And what we set out to do was to look at common denominators of disease and health. And we found that blood vessels, uh, angiogenesis, how the body grows blood vessels, is one of those common denominators. It links cancer, heart disease, stroke, blindness, arthritis, diabetes, obesity—about seventy different diseases. And it also um, is really critical for our own. Um, maintaining health. Every blood vessel feeds um, cells uh, in every organ of our body. When we don't have enough blood vessels, our organ dies. When we actually have too many blood vessels, um, uh, the extra blood vessels can actually feed disease or bleed or cause problems. And so through my work at the Androgenesis Foundation, uh, I've been involved with 34 FDA-approved new breakthrough treatments for diseases like cancer and diabetes and vision loss. Um, so my, my, I call it my street cred um, mm-hmm. uh, to my friends is that, you know, I, I really know how to take science and move it to help change lives in the most rigorous way possible. And I've done it many, many times. Um, uh, that was all uh, chasing diseases, um, colon cancer, breast cancer, brain cancer, uh, non-healing wounds leading to amputation, heart disease, of vision loss leading to blindness, but I started to realize that it would be much better to actually prevent the disease in the first place. And uh, rather than think about using drugs, could we use? Could we think about food? The problem with food and health is that you know it's a very, um, it's a very uh, loose space. There's a lot of um, voices, a lot of ideas, a lot of philosophies, um, uh, and there's a lot of. Um, people that are um, talking about import, the important aspect of how food impacts our health, but not a lot of scientists. And I'm a scientist, I'm a vascular biologist, as well as a doctor. And so for me, I asked a very simple question How can we understand how food impacts our health with the same degree of scientific rigor as we understand how drugs could help impact on disease? And so this idea of food as medicine for me is something that I take really seriously. And, and what my uh, what I dove into doing is to develop a career using the same tools that we use to develop medicines to study food. And, and that really is, uh, the discoveries that we made have been amazing. Um, literally, you can test foods head to head with uh, medicines and you can actually use the same tools that we uh, measure um, how people benefit from drugs to measure how they benefit from food And it gives a completely different view than, you know, just simply eat green, you know, have celery juice and, you know, all the, you know, ketogenics, like those are kind of uh, trends, fads, and good ideas. Um, For me, uh, I believe that science leads the way. So when I think about how food impacts health, um, it's really what does the science tell us? And then I, uh, based on what I discovered, I decided that, you know, uh, while drugs can take a decade... Before they can impact on patients, discoveries on food have immediacy because something that you hear today, you could make it, you could do something and and change your life tonight or this afternoon or in a couple of hours from now. And so that's why I decided to write a book for the public uh, called Eat to Beat Disease The New Science of How Your Body Can Heal Itself. Because what I wanted to talk about was uh, there are no super foods or super dietary supplements, but it's really that our body is pretty super. And when it comes to food and health, it's not just about the food, it's about how our body responds to what we put inside it. And that's really, I think, the 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 um, the uh, uh, really, really um, incredibly uh, exciting and meaningful undiscovered country still of food and health. That's an incredible,
0: I mean, thank you for that elaborate answer. I think there's a lot of information in there that I would like to unpack. Um, I think one good point that you raise is I feel that people are often looking for a shortcut, and that shortcut could be traditional medicine, but that shortcut could also be a superfood or it could also be a diet, fat diet that's been recommended or something along the lines of celery juice. Some of them might have um, pretty serious benefits, but they might not be as long term as we think. Now, just before we dive into some food specifics, When you look at, for lack of better words, traditional medicine today, what do you think, Mm -hmm. and I think you touched on this a little bit, but what do you think is wrong in that field?
1: Well, I mean, I think when you call traditional medicine, you're really talking about modern medicine that relies on uh, modern technologies, biotechnologies, pharmaceuticals, medical devices, and possibly, you know, surgery and uh, the other tools that we associate with Um, sort of standard uh, modern medicine. And, you know, I think that what's wrong with it is that, honestly, we rely too much on it and not enough on our bodies. Um, We all individually have responsibility to be able to um, uh, protect our own health. And, you know, it's an interesting question, like, you know, that I I asked myself is, I could tell you what cancer is pretty easily, because, you know, it's been pretty well defined. Um, How do you, To describe what cancer is, it's much more difficult to ask, what is health, right? Because most people would say, well, health is the absence of disease. I'm not sick, I'm healthy. But it's really hard to get your head around a negative, uh, kind of a a null space, right? Like the absence of something makes it really hard to do something positive for. Um, You know, it's sort of like, what is peace? It's the absence of war, right? (laughs) That, That makes it really hard to figure out. Uh, what do you do to keep peace? And so health is not just the absence of disease, but what my research has shown is that our health is actually the result of our body's hardwired health defense systems that we're born with. They're hardwired in our bodies. and in fact, they form when we're in our mother's womb. And uh, I identify five legs of the stools of health: blood vessels, angiogenesis, stem cells, how we can regenerate, um, our gut microbiome, a healthy gut bacteria, um, our DNA protection mechanism to um, protect us against the environment and toxins and our immune system. These five health defense systems are firing on all cylinders from the time we're born until our very last breath, trying to protect our health. And so what's interesting is that if we recognize that the secret to health lies within our body and that you know, basically what the medical system does, hospitals, medical centers. There's nothing wrong with them, but what what is uh, limiting is to rely only on them for your health. They're basically like rescue teams that can swoop in when you're in trouble to be able to actually um, uh, help you put out a fire. So it's sort of like, if you're in your kitchen, you know, you might have have, uh, some flames rise out of your uh, stove um, if you splash some oil around, but you're it's your job to put that out, okay? But if you just wait until the fire gets out of control and then you're calling the fire department to come in and put it out, your house might burn down. And I think that's probably the biggest limitation of what I would call modern medicine is there's something wrong with, it, with that itself, What what is actually limiting. And if there's anything to be said that is um, maybe not wrong because that's a judgment, but, um, you know, something that we, uh, a shortcoming. Um, short-sightedness, maybe a failing perhaps, of our societies that we, we tend to just you know rely on, a, on, on our health systems to to rescue us from things that we probably could have prevented by ourselves long ago.
0: And why do you think medical professionals haven't really transitioned into food the same way that you
1: have? <clears throat> There's an easy answer to that. Um, uh, medical doctors um, to date, have not been taught about nutrition in medical school. So when I was in medical school, I literally had zero uh, lectures, teaching, uh, labs on nutrition. In fact, uh, we were always told that nutrition is something that was not worthy of doctors to learn. There wasn't any good science associated with it. Um, We've got dieticians and nutritionists, and they are a different kind of health professional and let them uh, work on it. When I trained as a resident, and we always saw problems associated with nutrition, you know, what we did, um, the doctors didn't take any responsibility, we wrote an order to ask for a dietitian to come to bail us out, because we didn't have any knowledge. <laughs> and, you know, postgraduate, um, you know, in the postgraduate world, doctors are expected to continuously learn throughout their careers. You know, it's not just school and training, but you're supposed to, we're, we're in charge of um, uh, studying and and reading journals and going to conferences and you know, keeping up with our knowledge. And what's interesting is that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, you can get courses, postgraduate courses on DNA, on gene therapy, on vaccines, all kinds of really sophisticated things. There's nothing, no postgraduate course for doctors on nutrition. So that's something I'm actually setting out to do. So not surprisingly, if you're not educated about something, it becomes really hard for you to practice something. And so, doctors are really good at practicing the things that they learn about. Nutrition is not one of those things. And actually, part of my journey, I you know, I was uh, taking care of patients who were former soldiers, veterans, um, uh, in in our um, in in the United States. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I really felt uh, a duty is to pay back you know people who actually had uh, committed part of their lives um, uh, to helping to defend the country. Uh, and what was really amazing to me is that, uh, these individuals, uh, tended to be in pretty bad shape. You know, they were in their fifties and sixties and seventies. They had diabetes and cancer and bad lung diseases, obesity. And, uh, I would give them a bad diagnosis. I'd write prescriptions. I would send them to the specialists and they'd put their coat on and walk out of my office very politely. Um, they were great patients, some of my favorites. And then almost all of them would pop their head back in after they had left and you know, say, hey, doc, one more thing. What should I be doing for myself? What can I eat? And I realized that I was never taught the answer to that. I could tell them what antibiotic to take. I could tell them what heart drug to take. I could tell them what surgery kind of surgeries they should have. I didn't even t- know how to tell them what they should eat for their disease, for their health at home. And I felt that was wrong. And so in part, that set me on this journey to try to figure out like okay how do you answer that question what should you eat doc? and that's maybe one of the things that set me apart is my own personal experiences as a doctor and as a scientist
0: that's very interesting and and now diving sort of into food what do you see or or what have you heard are sort of the biggest misconceptions about food today
1: oh well you know if food and nutrition is such a big topic um you know i would say that uh, you know every uh, aspect dimension of in society, as truths and um, legends and myths. Uh, some of the myths are false, obviously. Um, and I think this is true with uh, uh, drugs as well. You know, there's mythology and there's some truth and there's some misunderstanding. Complicated things tend to, um, uh, uh, people tend to seek simple answers to complicated things. Um, what I would tell you is that uh, uh, food is, in fact, incredibly complex. When it comes to our health, uh, we now know that foods have multiple bioactive natural chemicals that Mother Nature has put into plants and animals and seafood, um, legumes, nuts and seeds. And uh, when we eat them, those natural chemicals actually um, activate our body's health defenses, uh, support the health defenses, or they can actually destroy the health defenses or, or damage them. And that's a very simple way of explaining something really complicated. Um, but I think mo- many people look to um, foods as either sort of uh, what, what's the right word, you know, magic bullets. People are always looking for the magic bullet. If I only ate enough kale okay. or celery juice, all my problems would be behind me. And that's clearly not true. Um, the food is much more complicated. Your health is a lot more complicated than that, and so I think oversimplification is one of those things. And and the and you know different uh, uh, belief systems are uh, are wrapped around foods as well. You know, people that really believe in raw food, you can't cook the food, or you'll damage the natural ingredients. Or vegans, which you know, plant-based foods are the healthiest way to go. But vegans basically say, well, we don't want to damage you know, uh, a living being, that's a philosophy that has nothing to do with the health itself um, uh, for, for your interaction, but, it, but it's a strong philosophy. And like any strong philosophy, if it gets too strong, it can border into a belief system that, you know, can g- very easily go to war <laughs> against other belief systems. And so I think this whole idea of like um, uh, almost tribal, fierce tribal belief systems the philosophies can cloud the reality and the complexity of food and and make food more accessible and more um, universal, Uh, sort of mine versus your, my idea versus your idea, that's not helpful. I think food is expansive. Um, I also think that um, there's a lot of marketeering out there, you know, people selling their famous coffee or selling their famous um, uh, dietary supplement pill made with broccoli sprouts or whatever, you know, or their berry pills. Um, And look, that's a business. Uh, their marketing—that's uh, uh, basically what businesses are. You sell your product, and you make a, you make no, you make people pay attention to that. And I think, for better or worse, there's a lot of very successful marketers out there um, in the food and supplements space, and their marketing messages uh, sometimes can lead us astray from you know the truth about a product. Uh, and so you wind up you know hearing SIE batteries can cure everything. It's the antioxidant from South America. And then, of course, people wrap around wrap mythology around things as well. You know, if it comes from the jungle, what must be good for you. You know, uh, or that you know the um, uh, the uh, paleo diet is actually healthy because before man invented cooking and food and and factories, you know, we were elementally dragging our knuckles in the ground, picking up nuts and leaves and and sticks, and that's actually what our bodies were designed for. That's a mythology. It's a, it's a story. It's a, it's actually a pretty compelling story. It's an interesting one. But it actually distracts you from our needs today and the complexities of our body. Yeah.
0: And just to complement your point, I think one of the biggest uh, issues these days is the lack of education and the real belief in marketeers, which is a problem that I'm sure you're trying to solve and are are potentially struggling to solve how would you recommend or advise people to know what they should believe about food? That might be a very
1: great tough question. question to answer. Yeah. No, that, that that's a great question. You know, um, uh, I think the most important thing is to, uh, for everyone to, uh, determine what is their true relationship to food. Right. I mean, we all eat, um, we all come from someplace in terms of our, um, uh countries of origin our cultures of origin um what i tell people uh about food and health is you know <laughs> i have a philosophy which is love your food in order to love your health and by loving your food what i'm saying is really being in touch with who you are and how food uh how you relate to food as an individual so where did you grow up what kind of food did you eat when you were growing up what is your culture how does your culture the food of your culture speak to you right um what are, what's important in the food of your culture and beyond, you know, simply the taste of it or the availability of it or the seasonality of it, you know, what, what is it, what is that type of food? What is it, what, what are, what does it make you associate your well being with? And so this is really where food kind of goes beyond, you know, sustenance, you know, giving you energy, calories, proteins, um, the carbohydrates, but really, and it has the, the, the greater meaning of food. I think it's important for somebody to figure out first for themselves. And then I think what you, uh, what I tell people to do is that, you know, some of the old cultures, um, uh, they figured it out, you know, over hundreds or thousands, tens of thousands of years, you know, um, people in the Mediterranean figured out what to eat that is not, is going to help them more than hurt them. Uh, you know, in Latin America, you know, many of the diets that were traditional uh, or in the Middle East, you know, the 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 um, elemental foods uh, that have informed the culture for years. I, you know, ironically, the scientists, food scientists and nutrition scientists are rediscovering that, you know, actually, it's true. Those beans, those legumes, those spices are, in fact, really great for you. So, we're many of the, much of the cutting-edge research is really helping us rediscover what cultures have known for um, thousands of years. And then I would say, you know, pay attention to where you're getting your information from. Um, Look for trusted sources. And by trusted sources, you know, I I would say, you know, we all have our kind of uh, our our ability to have a BS meter, you know, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you, you, you have your, your spidey sense tingles when you, uh, when you, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. If somebody is um, overly uh, persuasive in a way that just seems like, you know, it, it doesn't ring true to me. It probably, you know isn't the complete truth. Um I think having trusted resources is really important. That's one of the big problems I think of of the food and nutrition space. Everybody's out there talking about their own philosophy, their own um their own point of view, their own product. And what I really believe is important to do, and and this is why I you know really try hard to become one of those trusted resources, I talk about science. I talk about facts. I talk about evidence. I talk about what we're discovering. And I try to have the humility to say, this is what we know, this is what we don't know, and this is what we still need to find out. And I think that's a really good kind of barometer to look at, you know, how do you find trusted information? And then finally, I would say, you know, um, the media, which is where a lot of people, including myself, often hear information about food. uh, It's really difficult. You got to realize a journalist is writing um, something they may not be an expert in. They're trying to interpret something. They're interviewing people, and then an editor makes up a title to really sell, uh, to try to get the eyeballs to come to it, or sell newspapers or magazines. And those titles that editors use up are usually hyperbolic. You know, they are usually exaggerated. They they call attention. That's the job of the paper. And not surprisingly, you know, food X cures Y, and that's an over an overstatement. And then you know, some months later, food X causes Y. You know, um, and so. No wonder people have what I call whiplash, you know, that sensation when you jam on the brake in your car and you get hit and your neck gets whipped yeah. you know, um uh, back and forth. And that's really confusing. That doesn't help people. But I think if you look for trusted sources, you're you're true to yourself and how you relate to food, you question what you're hearing, you you kind of turn on your BS meter to see if it sounds too good to be true. Um, and then look for I, I think also look for humility because we there's a lot we don't we still don't know about food. And be very careful of the media. That's kind of my general advice on how to get good information.
0: I think that's great. And I think one more point to add, what I've realized, there's a lot of people sort of flip-flop between different diets, between different foods, simply because that information is recommended to them. And I think you often also need to see, and I think this is part of your BS meter, are people trying to sell you something or are they just trying to provide you information that is genuinely good for you? Because oftentimes. Um, it's the former and and i think listeners need to be uh need to be aware of that but going deeper into food are there staple foods from your research that you'd recommend eating on a daily basis or 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 frequently no matter
1: what culture you're from or what background you have um you know uh, that, that's also a really good question like what's that universal good food that everybody should think about uh, uh and is there a single food i, I would tell you that there's no Single food like I couldn't tell you everybody needs to eat a cranberry. Where are you going to get a cranberry? You know, um, uh, or everybody should eat you know um, uh, even a a type of dish. Everybody should eat a salad. That's hard to actually generalize. Um, So what I would actually tell you is everybody should realize that plant-based foods are healthiest for you compared to meat seafood, um, and certainly any ultra-processed foods, like whole plant-based foods should form the basis for everyone's diet. And the way that I approach, you know, um, constructing food, um, like, uh, like my, my meals, my, my planning for eating, is I try to focus on those plant-based foods first, rather than focusing on the meat, I try to focus on the plant, and and then I can, if I, if I have non-plant stuff, I use it as kind of a side dish, as a condiment, rather than the main, and then I think the other thing is I realize that plants have fiber, that fiber feeds your microbiome, which activates your health defenses, it's anti-inflammatory. We're just beginning to understand just how important the microbiome is, but it controls our metabolism. It controls even our emotions because it can, um, uh, how our gut, how healthy our gut bacteria are can influence the hormones that our brain actually um, produces uh, that can control our emotions as well. So I would say, you know, if I had to give kind of a universal truth, I'd say, you know, plant-based whole foods, make that the center um, of your kind of food planning, your food world, everything else. You can actually plan, if you put around that, um, you're probably in pretty good shape, go for fiber, um, the plants have bioactives. Um, and I would say, you know, the other thing that um, I, I would maybe, you know, if you press me to say, okay, because there's one more thing you could, you could recommend for everybody. I will tell you that the data is so, the scientific data is so compelling when it comes to uh, particularly green tea, but not only green tea, uh, also black teas. Um, can also be beneficial that if you drink tea on a regular basis every day, the first is that there's almost no harm uh, that you could that could come of you unless you're allergic to some component. Most people aren't. But secondly, is that the polyphenols uh, that are found in in tea, particularly green tea, have been um, uh, really uh, validated in almost every type of health study that I've seen. And I think that's really, very remarkable. In terms of what we uh, can think about the, the benefits, and you know, it's a tea. I think the second most popular beverage in the world after drinking water. And
0: just to go a bit deeper into tea because that's very interesting, and this might be a bit of a um, a bit of a detailed question. When it comes to tea, you know, we obviously have we go to the supermarket and we have sixty different options of green tea. Does it? Is there something specific that you would recommend us looking at? Uh, because again, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of different brands out there. There's a lot of people trying to market us different products.
1: Most of the uh, wor- the tea of the world uh, comes from relatively few places, and you know? they just get packaged differently <coughs> and sold differently. So, um, in some cases, you know, they're they're loose leaf. Sometimes they're packaged up. Um, you know, sometimes teas are mixed together. You know, teas are blended, but at the end of the day, you know, they're coming from China, India. I think Africa is a one of the sources of some forms of tea um, as well. So, so in fact, you're we're talking about you know pretty much the same product, no matter how you cut it. Um, what I think is uh, maybe significant is uh, that um, uh, what I think is significant would be uh, a couple of new things that. Um, Might be good for your listeners to know about. Uh, First is that uh, the tea bags that are popular now are these beautiful sachets. You've probably seen them. They're they're like little pyramids, and they look like they're made out of nylon mesh. And you you know, and they're and they're they're just they're like works of art. Um, uh, Unfortunately, uh, it's been found that those types of um, nylon bags shed billions of microparticles into a, a single cup of tea. In fact, I think it's been studied that one of those type of sachets uh, can leach literally one billion microplastic particles into a mug of tea uh, with one brewing. So I would tell you, even though I even though I think it's beautiful, <clears throat> those are uh, you know they need to find a better a, a different material that's not going to shed those particles. Um, I grew up drinking loose leaf tea. I think a lot of cultures um, just have tea that's loose leaf or you can brew it into a pot and then just not pour uh, the leaves. So I never have a problem with the teas, but the, but the old fashioned kind of more let's call it paper tea bags. Um, those are absolutely fine um, to be able to, 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 drink from. So, um, and by the way, the other thing is that with, with tea, it's really about, it comes from one type of plant. It's not like there's, some magical plant like the tea leaf uh, camellia is the same plant no matter how, no matter how you um uh uh, uh cut it uh, or sell it uh and so uh, whether it's matcha which is a powder a japanese powder or whether it is um a uh or whether it is um blended with like jasmine with flowers uh for uh the uh beautiful scent it's really still very much the same Absolutely the same uh, product. Um, you, you do want to get tea that actually is made with real tea leaves. That's Camilla sinensis. Um, And not, you know, there's like rubeuice and different, and chamomile. They all have, some of them have healthful properties as well. But that's different than what I've been, we've been talking about, which is, you know, the health properties of, of green tea. And by the way, black tea is just green tea that's been oxidized. It's been um, handled differently. And allowed to ferment to some extent, um, which uh, has its own beneficial properties as well.
0: Fantastic! That's great advice, and I think everyone can can learn a thing or two from the things that you just said. Uh, one thing that I wanted to touch on that you mentioned earlier is the importance of gut health. First question is: What mm-hmm. is the importance of gut health, and what steps can we take today to improve our gut health?
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, our uh, when I was in medical school. I was taught, like most people, that bacteria are bad, and that's why we have antibiotics to kill those bad bacteria. In fact, now we understand that bacteria are largely good in our body, and there can be a few bacteria that are not so good, but most of them are actually not just good, but they're critical for our health. So we want to take good care of our bacteria, which live mostly inside our gut, in our intestines, in our lower intestines, our colon. And it's like a e- ecosystem, you know, kind of like a coral reef with beautiful fish. But literally, there are more than 30 trillion bacteria that live in our gut. In fact, there's a, just about the same number of bacteria cells, bacteria, as there are human cells in the body. Uh, so this is, you know, a really substantial part of who we are, our bacteria. And um, the ecosystem I use, because it's like a neighborhood, you know, lots of different people living in that ecosystem lots of different bacteria most of them are actually really good neighbors you know they're good citizens and you know there's a couple of rough characters that also you know get into any neighborhood and that's totally fine as long as mostly good citizens but if you don't take care of your gut well with food i'll talk about that in a second you can have something called dysbiosis and that's a fancy term that basically means that you're um, the balance of bacteria, of good bacteria is outweighed by bad bacteria. And it's kind of like a neighborhood where you have, you know, a bunch of, uh, thugs moving into your neighborhood and some of the good guys move out. Um, and now you wind up having, a, you know, uh, kind of, a a dangerous neighborhood. And that's why a lot of people wind up having irritable bowel and this chronic gut disturbances. It's really quite remarkable what we're discovering of how important, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the problems of of, uh, of gut bacteria actually are. Um, the um, other thing that uh, I think that is uh, important is how do you take care of that is to feed your gut bacteria. So if you had a pet dog or a pet cat or a pet bird, you know, you would make sure you feed them every day because they, you know, that, that's just being a responsible owner. You're taking care of your your pets. Uh, you need to feed your gut bacteria every day, you know? Um, they're just like your, or like goldfish, you know, you want to feed them. And what they like to eat, they love to eat fiber, fiber, soluble fiber from mushrooms, from vegetables, anything leafy greens packed with fiber. They love that. And by the way, uh, your bacteria digest that fiber into smaller particles. These smaller particles are uh, called short-chain fatty acids, scaffas. Um, And you don't need to worry about the biochemistry of those. But just know that when you feed your gut fiber, your fiber eats that fiber, digests it, and breaks it down into smaller particles. And those smaller particles, the scaphas, lower inflammation. They help to balance your sugar metabolism. They lower blood lipids. Um, They can actually help to um, cut off the blood supply to cancers. They can groom your immune system. Lots of really important things that these uh, bacteria actually do uh, for our health. So that's one thing to do is to keep feeding your, you know, feed your pet. Feed your bacteria, keep your gut healthy, and then the last thing I'll tell you is that you want to make sure you don't harm your bacteria. Just like you don't want to, you know, feed your dog a can of nails, right? Uh, uh, so um, we also don't want to harm our bacteria. So here's where things get really interesting. There are lots of common things that people eat and drink that can that really you know, do a, do damage to to your to the gut bacteria. What is one of them? Well, it turns out that Uh, A soda, actually, you know, in a can, pretty damaging to your gut bacteria, and especially uh, artificial sweetness soda, Uh, you know, the saccharins and all those aspartames, man, in 24 hours, it can actually change the neighborhood and move a whole bunch of bad guys into the neighborhood. And so even though people drink a lot of diet soda, and uh, that's really very disturbing, literally, for your gut bacteria And, uh, you know, we're beginning to re-examine whether or not it's just the idea of, you know, having lots of sugar in your soda. Because people say, well, then we'll just have diet soda. But it turns out that both regular high sugar uh, in soda, but especially uh, artificial sugar sweeteners, uh, actually are quite damaging to your gut bacteria. When their gut bacteria is damaged, like, uh, you know, they say, there goes the neighborhood.
0: And outside of soda that is specifically bad for uh, for your gut and for your gut bacteria, are there any other foods or food groups that you recommend staying away from, whether it's for your immune system, your microbiome or or any of the above?
1: Yeah um, you know uh, uh, processed ultra processed foods, things in a box where you read the ingredients and it's got unpronounceable. Uh, chemical names. That's also bad for um, your health defenses. Whether it is your gut bacteria, your immune system, your stem cells. You know, every study that looks at these um, ultra-processed foods and chemicals um, have shown that you know they're they're they might be convenient. They may be inexpensive. They may be really tasty. Not good for your health. Um, uh, and we're beginning to understand why. Uh, another thing that's not so good for you is um, honestly red meat. Um, you know some people really love red meat and i don't have a problem with people who eat um, meat i I don't eat much meat myself but um uh, but i understand you know it can be important to some people and some people love it Um, but you know red meat actually also changes your gut bacteria in ways that can be not so um healthy Uh, uh uh processed meats um you know like hot dogs and sausages not the ones that are actually, you know, done on a traditional ways, but more uh, the type that's done in big factories, you know, and and filled with chemicals. Those are not good for you either. They change um they they really impact your health defense systems and introduce factors into your body that, you know, are are not so healthy. I would say in general those are the things to stay away from.
0: Okay. And when it comes to now a step further. When did you realize that food has an impact on treating and preventing disease and diseases of all kind?
1: Well, I guess I would tell you that um, I started to think about this when I realized how the medicines that, as a doctor that I was using could not heal and treat people all the time. And so things that are taught to be, you know, cures or successful treatments actually... You know they're they're pretty limited. Often uh, they can accomplish something, but they don't really always do the job we want them to do. And so that made me re- sort of look at that space, like, okay, so what what's missing? What could we add to this? And it was became clear to me that food was a tool in the toolbox that you know, the medical community wasn't really um, employing. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to do. You know, I'm 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 not one of these doctors that is abandoning my colleagues in medicine by saying. You know, uh, this is no good. Uh, uh, I got to get rid of it. You know, everybody's doing the wrong thing. Uh, We should all go towards food to fix everything. I'm not one of those people. Uh, As I mentioned to you from the beginning, I actually helped to develop biotech treatments. So I'm, you know, I'm a card-carrying guy when it comes to um, developing very advanced treatments for really bad diseases like cancer. On the other hand, what I Realize that, that you know this the absence of food as a tool in the toolbox is a real missed opportunity. And what I'm really trying to do is to get the medical community as well as people in general to realize, you know, there are um, uh, accurate, healthy, uh, science-driven, evidence-based ways um, to be able to use food to your advantage. And really, it, it's pretty simple. You want to activate your body's health defenses. There's more than 200 foods that I write about in my book Eat to Beat Disease um, that can actually achieve that. And you know, if you take a look at my book and go to the back of the book, and there's all these tables and charts of different foods that are all healthy, and activate your health defenses. I tell people take a pen, circle the one the foods you there that you already love, and I guarantee you you'll find something you love. Probably a lot of foods that you that you like or love. Start eating those foods because you already love them. And if you start eating healthy with foods that you already relate to you, um, then you're way ahead of the game. That's the best way to start healthy eating.
0: Absolutely. Could you give a few examples, just going back to to disease and, and preventing it from the get-go, on which foods prevent which diseases? and Or if there's any other information you would like to share?
1: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples where the evidence is really strong and compelling. So, And again, it's not sort of like you pick this product for that product. It's you know men, there's 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 a lot of different things that foods can, different foods can actually do. So um, I'll, I'll list a couple of them. Uh, uh, soy uh, foods, um, whole soy foods like edamame or fermented ones like tofu, um, actually um, have had this reputation that they actually are risky for women who don't you know are afraid of breast cancer. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Um, studies in uh, the lab as well as in people have shown that. That soy can actually powerfully interrupt the signals that cancers need, breast cancers need, in order to grow. So, um, a study of five thousand women in Shanghai showed those women who already had breast cancer, the more soy they ate, the lower, the better their survivor survival is, and the lower their risk of death. And so, soy doesn't actually isn't risky for breast cancer. Actually, is helpful. Both for preventing and also even helping to augment the treatment of breast cancer, so that's one. Another one is tomatoes. You know, there's uh, you know, sort of this urban legend floating around that tomatoes are nightshades and they have lectins and they're poisonous for you. Couldn't be further from the truth. This is an example where you know, perhaps well meaning people interpret some science in a way that's just not accurate. <clears throat> and, um, you know, tomatoes are kind of the leaves kind of look like nightshade, but they're not poisonous like nightshade, and there are hundreds of lectins, and tomatoes do have some of them. And some lectins are poisonous, just not the ones that tomatoes have. In fact, um, tomatoes have been shown uh, in studies of, of, um, you know, 30,000 men, that men who eat two to three servings of cooked tomatoes, and you only need to have a half a cup of cooked tomatoes, um, a couple of times, uh, two to three times a week, have a 30% reduced risk of developing prostate cancer, because tomatoes have a natural chemical called lycopene that cuts off the blood supply, uh, to cancers. Uh, and then the last example I'll give you are tree nuts. So what are tree nuts? Macadamias, pecans, walnuts, cashews, um, uh, pistachios, uh, pine nuts. You know, they're the, uh, they're common nuts. They're eat, People eat them as snacks all the time. Uh, a study that was done, uh, by 14 different medical centers in the United States, all the ivory tower ones, Harvard and, uh, Duke and Stanford, all, all part of this, <clears throat> uh, studied 800 people with colon cancer, advanced colon cancer, stage three colon cancer, who were getting treatment in hospitals with chemotherapy. And what they found is that uh, those patients with cancer who ate two handfuls of tree nuts a week, so that's not very much, two handfuls, two fistfuls of nuts a week, um, actually had a 57% reduction in mortality. Dying from their colon cancer, you know, uh, that they had to be treated too. Obviously, this isn't just using nuts to treat their cancer. it's that? You know, so, how could you explain this? Well, fiber from the nuts feeds the gut, which then produces immunity, uh, helps augment immunity, which is important for fighting cancer. So, it, you know, um, these things actually kind of make sense when you put the science, the puzzle, the science together. But it's really important to actually, um, uh, uh, and that's what I write about in my book. You know, there are. these 200 foods with all kinds of evidence that are, um, uh, worth reading about. That's
0: fantastic. And I think the beautiful thing about that is that all those foods are delicious. Like you said in your book, there will be foods that, that you'll find that you love and, and you need to start with those. Does, does dosage matter? Because I feel, I feel like whatever information you've, you've provided us is great, but how do we know how much we should have?
1: Uh, you know that's based on the different foods and the research um, uh, topics. I would say, you know, in a book I have a chapter about food doses. Um, uh, a dose like a medicine. If you're going to do food as medicine, you know, you have a you have a, a medicine, you have an amount, and you have a frequency you take it in order to get a benefit. Uh, and it's and you establish that with research. And similarly with foods, like I talked about the tomatoes, a half cup, two to three times a week, uh, gives you a result that has um, been published. And, you know, that's where doses are being discovered, I would say. This is still the beginning of a new field of looking at food doses. Um, what I do want to communicate to your listeners, though, is that when it comes to food, it's really important that eating more of a healthy food isn't necessarily better for you. You know, like there's this kind of kind of sometimes this really overly simplistic idea that if I eat, if two fistfuls of tree nuts are good, oh, why don't I eat 10? Oh, wait a minute, why don't I just only eat nuts? You know um, that's not doesn't work that way. There's a property called hormesis h o r m e s i s in the body, which basically says there's optimal there's optimal levels of of foods. and we don't know what they are for all foods. <clears throat> area of research. But we do know what they might be for. Some of them are we're getting close to figuring this out. and that and it goes like this, Hormesis. a little isn't enough. a little bit more is a little bit better. A little bit more than that, you kind of get into the good optimal point. and then you go beyond that, you start losing all the benefits um, uh, and you go even further and you actually get back down to where you started. You don't really have the benefit at all. You get you have harm. And mm-hmm. so that's why you know I always tell people you don't want to actually just go nuts and gorge on something that you think is good for you, you've heard is good for you. The human body is pretty reasonable. So I always tell people, go for moderation, go for what seems like a reasonable, thing to eat. And, you know, there's a Japanese saying that is, uh, it's called Harihachi Mi. And it means, you know, stop eating when you're 80% full rather than gorging yourself. And that's for eating in general, you know, eating less gives you more health, less, less healthy food, you know, eat healthy food, but don't gorge yourself by eating slightly less. You actually gain more health. Completely. And are there foods that we
0: should eat together would have a bigger impact rather than than being eaten
1: separately yeah food combinations is another area of new research um uh, what we know for example is that the lycopene in tomatoes that can be useful for preventing prostate cancer is a fat soluble means it dissolves in 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 oil not in water and so when you actually want to get the lycopene um if if you have tomatoes in oil which think about how tomato sauce is often cooked with olive oil. That's a really great way of actually making that substance more available to your body. Uh, uh, By the way, the same thing like eating a tomato with an avocado, avocados got a lot of uh, uh, kind of healthy fats in it and they can actually make taking that lycopene easier into your system. Uh, I would say um, some of the other combinations that are um, out there uh, that have been uh, discovered is, Uh, um, uh, these are called food synergies. Like we actually found that if you combine teas together, uh, like uh, a a jasmine tea with a uh, Japanese uh, sencha tea, uh, mixing two different types of tea together, you can actually get a synergistic, a greater effect than either one alone or just what you would expect additively. So this is a brand new area of, of food combinations. Um, obviously, you know, we talk about food and health as single foods, but in reality, people eat foods as a gigantic group of things. And that's part of the interesting research that lies ahead is figuring out what is the mystery of what they do um, with each other once we put them into our body.
0: And then one final question on food, because I know that you've you've written about this uh, on your website a little bit especially during times like this? What food should we be eating during COVID, if any?
1: Yeah, so, you know, um, this pandemic is really um, problematic because we don't know who gets infected. Uh, It seems like it's getting easier to be infected. And what's the secret to not getting infected is to really have a good, strong immune system. That's what a vaccine is intended to do, is to really boost our immunity against a particular organism. But having good immunity up front Is also really important. So, um, uh, so if you break down the immune system into different components, you've got sort of the front gate of immunity. That's like in your nose and your mucous membranes, and you get antibodies called IgA that are secreted. Turns out that mushrooms, eating mushrooms, can actually help increase IgA. That's been studied in research. Um, Cranberries uh, or cranberry juice also um, can uh, 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 increase the production of a natural. Um, type of immune cell called the delta gamma T cell that actually is also a front uh, front line of defense against viruses and infections as well. And then something that was really interesting that I followed uh, as somebody who's doing COVID research now is uh, there were 900 patients being studied in China uh, in, in the spring of 2020, uh, and uh, they were all healthy. And the researchers were interested in looking at who was actually going to get. Uh, who was going to wind up getting, uh, developing uh, COVID. And they looked in their blood to find out who, um, what was the difference between people who got COVID and not. turned out there was a natural virus fighter called interferon gamma. It's a protein um, that was in the people who are more likely to be healthy and not get sick. Makes total sense. Then they looked in uh, their poop, the microbiome, and they found two bacteria that were associated with um, this Natural virus killer, interferon gamma. The two bacteria were Lactobacillus and Ruminococcus. Um, Again, remember I told you there's 30 trillion bacteria. These are just two species that stood out like, you know, like a flag. And then they went back and looked at what foods these people ate. It was really interesting because uh, they found that these people with the good bacteria and the uh, uh, interferon gamma, the virus killer, were drinking tea, green tea or black tea, and they were eating seafood. And so, seafood has omega-3 fatty acids, the marine polyunsaturated fatty acids, and so now this is opening new gateways into research for figuring out, are there particular ways that our foods can influence our health defense system and our gut, our microbiome, which then influence our health defense system and our immunity, which can uh, kind of create a shield to make it less likely uh, that we would be infected by not only the coronavirus that causes COVID, but other viruses that cause illness as well. And think about it. You know, like we're still in the middle of this pandemic, um, uh, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic. But in reality, we should be boosting our immunity and creating our shields to be able to re- help make us more likely not to get sick for future pandemics as well. Doctor Lee, before
0: we say goodbye to you, where could people find you, and where could people find your blog and uh, and your book?
1: Yeah, so my book is uh, uh available online, uh, anywhere where books are sold. Eat to beat disease, the new health of uh, the new science of how your body can heal itself. Uh, you can uh, come to my we- uh, my website. It's uh 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 drwilliamlee.com, dr drwilliamlee.com. <clears throat> I post up my blogs there all the time. You can also follow me on social at Dr D R William Lee L I at li at doctor I'm on Instagram, uh, I'm on Facebook, um, I'm on Twitter, uh, and I put up new information all the time and I comment on information that's uh, coming out in the news as well. So, um, you know, one of the interesting things I'm doing in 2021, I'm actually starting to teach a course, an online course uh, on how to eat to beat disease, not just from what's in my book, but really how I do it myself and, and some of the latest findings that have come out since the book, Uh, was published and talked about techniques as well so anybody who's interested in that you come to my website um, uh, you can actually find out more about that
0: thank you so much to the listeners out there look at the course go to the website buy the book eat to beat disease it is phenomenal dr lee thank you so much for your time
1: it's a real pleasure thank
0: you for having me on thank you This was most certainly one of the most interesting episodes on this podcast till date. How can we understand how food impacts our health? First off, get your hands on Dr. Lee's book, Eat to Beat Disease. It's fascinating, you won't regret it, and everything that we discussed in this episode is packed into those pages. But a few more things. One, be careful who you listen to. There are a lot of fad diets out there A lot of companies and people that are trying to sell you a quick fix or the latest superfood. But don't look for the magic bullet. Number two, trust the science on food. Look at the healthy foods that have made up the bulk of your nutrition growing up as part of your culture and make that part your focus. And number three, focus on the plant-based foods first rather than on the meat. We're not saying go vegan or vegetarian. We're saying to make meat or fish a condiment rather than the main focus of your meal. Now, I don't want to give you too many steps because this is one of those episodes where you really need to listen to all of it. It's only 50 something minutes long. Please give it a go. And again, if you have any questions, feel free to get in touch.